welcome to Flourishing Education, the podcast that provides you with conversations with experts and like-minded people who would like to see education turn into a flourishing environment for the well-being of all. So, are you ready? Let's start. Hope you enjoy this session. Today I'm recording another powerful, imperfectly perfect conversation with Nicole Webb. Nicole, it was, you're not a journalist anymore, are you? Um, Well, I still think of myself as a journalist, but possibly not a full-time working journalist, a little bit of freelance here and there. Once a journalist, always a journalist. (laughs) (laughs) Fabulous. It's like once a teacher, always a teacher. Yeah. Exactly. Wonderful. So journalist, writer and speaker, um, Nicole spent 20 years in Australian television as a reporter, producer and presenter. But she's just recently returned to Sydney after nearly a decade abroad, particularly in Hong Kong and China. And so I wanted to talk to Nicole about her experience abroad. Um, because I think we can, we're going to be able to draw so much, um, and in particular, you know, talking about your your book, China Blonde, um, and and really, yeah, draw from your experiences. So, a very warm welcome to Flourishing Education Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. Wonderful. Thank you. So. So you're in Australia, so it's you know, towards the evening for you, it's the beginning of the day for me. I yes. think this is very representative probably of, you know, many people living on other places. And so let's start with that. Do you want to share, you know, your experience of moving from Australia to Hong Kong and then China? Sure, sure. <laughs> How long have you got? <laughs> So I um, worked, as you mentioned, as a journalist and I was a newsreader um, in the end, which I had done for probably five years. And I was working at Sky News in Australia in Sydney. um, And I'd met my husband, James, on a blind date. And we had, uh, he proposed within a year and he was in hotels and um, they do like to move you around in hotels. And he'd sort of put it out there early on about moving overseas. And I, because I was 35 by then, I said, you know what, I think my time has come for living overseas, come and gone. And I'm, you know, I've got my career here. I'm not sure I'm, I'm prepared to do that. And he was okay with that because he was from England and had come down under. So Um, But we sort of went by another 12 months and then a job came up in Hong Kong that James was asked to put his hand up for. And, you know, you just have that feeling. And I just thought, I think it's something we should perhaps try and do. Um, Maybe it is time for me to move overseas, move out of my comfort zone, um, which was horrifying. But I was sort of a bit stuck in my job and I wasn't as motivated as I possibly should have been, um, having been there for a decade. And I thought, you know what? I could see myself here another decade. So what is it going to be? Do I stay and do that? Or do I just take this plunge and take the leap? So I suggested to James, why doesn't he put his hand up? And he was excited and he did and he got the job. And there, therein was our first move. Wow. And, and you know, the, 
getting out of our comfort zone is something that is not easy to do you you were saying you know you had a really good job obviously being a presenter you know for sky news probably the dream of many women and many people and whilst we you know sometimes we're not really happy in our jobs but we just keep going and keep going because we're on the hamster wheel um and it pays the bills and you know it's okay but it's not quite perfect so is is that how you, you felt at the time and 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 did you i often feel that sometimes when we we take a plunge we jump and we don't know what's coming i call that terror excited that's what my friend calls it so terrified and excited at the same time i like it yeah so do you feel that's that was... perfect terror excited <laughs> so did you did it feel like that for you Yes, definitely. Definitely both terror and excitement. Um, I don't think that I was, you know, I wasn't fed up with my job. I mean, I did love it. And, it, you know, what's not to love reading the news and all the perks that went with that. And it was exciting. But it's probably not as glamorous as people like to think, you know, <laughs> and if there's not much news happening, you know, and you would read a bulletin after bulletin for several hours at a time. But I don't even know if it was that. I just was looking ahead to those 10 years and thought, well, I, you know, I'd always wanted to live a life less ordinary and always wanted to do something different. And I felt like I had up until that point. But then I just thought, you know what, I think we need to step it up a bit. But you're right. It is hard stepping out of your comfort zone because, we kind of don't realize until we let it go how much our identity is shaped by what we do for a job and you say oh no it's not you know I've got my my family I've got lots of hobbies and things outside of that but it still is a very large part of who you are and when you take all that away and it's stripped back you really have to stop and think okay well who am I and I guess that's sort of what happened to me even though I was excited and pushed to go to Hong Kong um, when we did get there, I also found out I was pregnant. So that kind of made, wow. <laughs> you know, when you're that career person and suddenly it was like this, you know, I'm not only do I not have a career anymore, I'm going to become a mum. I'm in a country I don't really know anyone. I don't really know the language, the culture, the customs, um, even where I'm going to have this baby. I don't have a doctor, you know. It's And then, of course, your husband or your partner, you know, your wife, whomever it might be that has the job, um, they're obviously so preoccupied and busy because they've got to prove themselves in this new role. So obviously James was working long hours and I was alone a lot and... Um, it was really daunting and did force me to confront a few things head on. <laughs> ah, so, so I love that identity. I talk a lot about that. The fact that we, we grow up as, as our children grow up, we, we almost encourage them to develop those I am's, you know? So I often talk about how, you know, in the, I'm now 46 and I just feel like I'm stripping more and more all of those identities all those masks we're wearing you know I'm a mom I'm a I'm a daughter I'm a I'm a sister I'm a friend I'm a that you know language director all those things right but stripping off sometimes can be scary because you're not quite sure what you're going to be left with right so is that how what it felt like for you Absolutely. 
it did because like you say you have all these labels and I think it's even the same for a mum you know when we first become mums and suddenly you know that's a new label that we have and we lose other things in the process often of bringing up our children and when yeah and then when the children leave the home I think people often have to step back again and say well now what am I and who am I so I guess we often do that a lot in our life um, some of us are probably just more in a comfortable place to do that um, but it is yeah it definitely is just stripping everything back and I definitely felt that and I had to really I did struggle initially and of course there was even some resentment towards James you know even though I was the one that had decide you know made that decision with him um it was suddenly who am I you know and you've got this great job what do I have you know um and then when I had Ava it was just you know you're you're absorbed in this <laughs> cycle of changing nappies and rocking them to sleep and feeding them and I'm sure any mum feels this way let alone being in a foreign country you know with no sort of comfortable comforts that you know of so it's quite scary um, you mm. know, mm. thinking, will, will you get your old self back or, or do you have to strive to be somebody new or do, are you comfortable with who you are beneath all of that? Yes. And so th there's, there's two things that I want to explore. The first one is obviously culture shock, because I would imagine that even though Hong Kong is probably much more westernized than China, when you then went to China, it must have been a culture shock. Um, the, the other thing also is, is what you were just saying just now, the, it, it almost sounds like darker sort of night of the soul in a way because you're on your own in a different culture um that that is bound to bring you know i remember when i moved to the uk being french you have to make your new friends um you know connection and we know that for example feeling lonely loneliness is really a source of mental ill health um and you know that we i was reading an article recently that actually social isolation um in in is in parts of the brain the same as like the pain that you feel when you break a bone so it's really painful to be socially um you know disconnected particularly because i would imagine with the job you had you were the opposite socializing a lot more um maybe it's just me interpreting that but uh, i would love you to talk about those those points yeah so i guess you're right hong, hong kong was a different ball game to actual mainland China but at the same time when I moved to Hong Kong it was still there was still that culture shock there because even though there's a large expat contingency there um, I can remember going outside and being you know one of the few blondes that I could see amongst the throng of locals um, and you know you would catch taxis and all that and they couldn't speak English so you'd and I remember when I first had Ava and I had her in the baby capsule and you know there's no seat belts or car seats or anything and you sort of flag this taxi down and you get in with the baby and all the paraphernalia that goes with it and then the driver doesn't speak English and I guess you're extra um, possibly terrified because you've also got a baby to look after it's not just you and if you get lost amongst it you've got you know I would have this 
tiny baby with me. Um, and I remember once we were, I was trying to go to this mother's group and the driver was taking me in the complete opposite direction. I didn't know where we were going or where we were, but I knew it was the wrong way. And he could not understand what I was saying, even though when I got in, I thought he knew where I wanted to go. And I just remember working up a sweat and Ava's beside me. And, oh, it was just one of those nightmares at the time, you know. I remember thinking, you just have to drop me off at the side of the road and I'll have to get another cab in the hope that they might know where to go. <laughs> but those moments are quite terrifying, you know. Um, but, yes, uh, I can talk more about this later, but moving to China four years later, culture shock really hit a lot harder then because, of course, the language is English is so much uh, less spoken and it's just such a, a, a more foreign I guess um, in Hong Kong has that British influence you know of 150 years so there is sort of a real mixture of the east meets west so over time you know you find your tribe like you say you you know you you need to find that one or two people that you can really connect with um, I think when you are in those places that you can have a coffee with once a week or a drink so that you can talk about what this life is like that you're you're in and have that I guess connection and, and soulmate to speak with so you have to put yourself out of your comfort zone to do that as well you know I remember not really wanting to go to this pregnancy group where all the mums would do at the same time as me but I just thought I have to do it. You know, this is the new me. I'm not walking into Sky News where I know everyone and I've known them for 10 years and grown up with them. I've got to go and walk into this strange place in the middle of Hong Kong and greet these women from all other parts of the world that are all having babies at the same time as me. And that's probably what we've got in common. Yes, the common ground, isn't it? Yeah, everyone's got a belly. <laughs> yes, that's a good start. And I think this is such great... Um, great stuff for young people as advice if they move to university right because they're exactly in the same situation you know they'll be put in halls of residence with people they don't know and you know you were saying it's about finding two or three people you can trust and you know people you connect with um and that that takes time so how did you do that how did you what what um you know would you have any advice on, on, you know, you arrive in a completely foreign, you know, even if it's not you know, foreign in the sense that they've moved, I mean, some of our students are international students, so they come from China to the UK or, you know, Australia or America, but other students may be moving from the, you know, south of Bristol, of, of England, you know, Bristol to, to Manchester, for example. So would you have any advice for, for people mm. for that? And I always say that, I, I say that in my book as well, it doesn't matter whether you're just moving to another suburb, another city, a state or a country. Ultimately, we all feel those pangs of, uh, you know, that feeling like, I, what am I doing? I'm stepping into this new area and I don't know anyone. Nothing's familiar. Um, and it's very easy to want to just bury your head in the sand, I think. And you know, if it feels like you're never going to meet anyone that's on your wavelength. Um, and I think that's when you've really got to just push yourself to step outside of that comfort zone, take a deep breath. And if you can find, you know, a group or something to meet, you know, you might not click with, you know, 80% of them. You might look around at first and think, oh, these people aren't my people. But 
I think you've got to give it time, as you say, and you really only need one person from that group that you really connect with. And you're set because then you've got that person and you can, you tend to, that sort of escalates or it's like a domino effect, isn't it? You meet more people from that. And it was the same um, in Xi'an in China, although it was a lot harder, but I got there and because I found my tribe of people in Hong Kong, I didn't really want to meet at first, get put myself out of my comfort zone again and, and have to go and do all that and say, hi, I'm Nicole. And what are they going to think of me? You know, am I too, you know, do I dress wrong? Am I not the right type? Do I say the wrong thing? You know, you all these things go through your mind. And I um, didn't for a few months in China, I actually just kind of put the brakes on it and thought, I'm okay. I don't need to meet anyone. <laughs> and then it just became more and more obvious that, you know what, you're in this really strange city with 9 million people. You've barely seen another Westerner. You've got to find somebody that you can converse with in English for more than, you know, a minute or so. Um, so I did have to step out again and um, look for groups on Facebook and things like that and someone found me on my blog that I used to write and you know we ended up going on a blind date she wanted to know where um, if there was a hairdresser in Xi'an that would color blonde hair because she'd seen a blog post I'd written um, and so we agreed to meet for coffee and she became my best friend for the whole two and a half years in Xi'an so you just never know you know who you're going to meet so I think you've just got to be brave and step out and think, I can do this, you know, a lot. And just remember, everyone's in the same boat. Um, you know, no one really likes, you know, meeting new people for the first time and having to, you know, showcase who you are and put on your best face and, you know, tell great jokes. <laughs> yes, and, it's, and I love that because it's about stepping out of the comfort zone, being brave, saying to yourself, I can do this but also trusting that, you know, in the group, you might find one person that you connect with and that one person can connect you to other people that will, will be more of your, you know, your tribe, like you say. So um, um, amazing. Um, so, so let's, let's, you know, connect both you know, Hong Kong and China and, you know, the fact that you've, you've said, so, you know, in Hong Kong, you were probably, one of the only or not many people who were blonde um and you know in in china it's about you know am i dressing wrong again you know being blonde so i'd love to address the 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 part of you know which is probably what other people who come to our countries you know who are different so addressing the difference um how how, how, what, what was that like for you and, and do you have what what advice do you have for people because differences when people don't understand the differences very often it's because we're fearful of the other we don't know the other um, and I would imagine for, for Chinese people you know or people in Hong Kong who've never seen somebody you know beautiful blonde lady would be very like oh well you know slightly alien and naturally as human beings when we don't understand we go in fear and so we we go in sort of protection mode is that what you would say mm. you experienced 
Absolutely. Not really in Hong Kong so much because, as I say, there was a, a large pool of expats. So we lots of foreigners there, even if you couldn't find them in the crowd, they were everywhere. But in Xi'an, many, many of those locals had really never seen, as you say, a Westerner other than maybe on the movies. Um, even though Xi'an was a city of nine million people, um, you know, they don't even, it seems like Chinese people travel a lot, but only 10%, it might be a bit more now, hold a passport. So in reality, a lot of them haven't been overseas. Um, of course, a lot of the students do now, but they're those older generations. I remember Ava and I, the first day that we arrived and I was like, I culture shock was really, um, you know, it was there. And I had, I said to Ava, who was three and a half by this point, we need to go and explore our neighborhood. And I just remember stepping outside the sort of comfort of the hotel where we lived and we were just swarmed. There were just people everywhere crowding around us. And as you say, looking at us with fascination as to who were these two people, particularly Ava, who was this little pocket rocket with long blonde hair and very fair skin. They were just mesmerized. But I mean, I didn't know what they were thinking. I didn't know if it was harmless you know and I remember there was a big tourist attraction a pagoda opposite and so there were many more Chinese from many more rural cities that had maybe not even seen the westerners on television so they were just sort of looking at you like they were just stunned and taking photos um, trying to touch Ava and pick her up and it was quite terrifying those first few days um, until I sort of well for a long time actually until I realized that it was really just a harmful a harmless sorry innocence um and it was really just a fascination and I used to go across to the local hairdresser and he was quite a cheeky young Chinese guy who could speak a bit of English and he was always just telling me wow look at you like you've got this blonde hair and you, you know you kind of you sort of you sound the same and you eat the same but you breathe but you just look nothing like us you know you're an alien so to speak so I just remember those first few months I was really just way out of my comfort zone you know I hadn't met anyone it was just Ava and I she hadn't started school and you know I would go out to the shops or whatever and everyone you just in the end it became normal <laughs> I don't think I noticed it after two and a half years um, but yeah that those those first early days were pretty scary and intense yes and and obviously because they're scary and intense puts you into fear sort of mode and 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 under stress right so mm -hmm. and many times I just thought what have I done you know um I just remember in the early days thinking I don't I thought I was cut out for this I thought you know I, I could be someone who had these adventures and I you know, wanted to live in China to see what it was like, but I just thought, I think I've come too far. I don't think I'm capable. Maybe I'm not as strong as I thought I was. Um, and saying that to James, but as with everything, uh, it's time. And I think, as you say, with those uni students, whether you're, you know, whether you're just moving to another suburb or another country, um, you've just got to have patience and really 
give it time um, and know that things will turn around. Um, and I always say it's about nine months. It's like a pregnancy, you know, <laughs> eventually you start to feel comfortable. Um, you know, you find all you need to do is find out where the, you know, local chemist or pharmacy is, the doctors, the hairdresser, the supermarket, and, you know, find a friend. And once you have all that familiarity, suddenly it's not so bad and you can start looking ahead. Yes. And, you know, I, um, I had an, an episode, uh, you know, on the podcast with my mindfulness teacher because I was saying to him that when I went back home in the summer last year, um, I, I really struggled to switch off because I was sort of, you know, on the hamster wheel after COVID and everything else. And I remember my mindfulness teacher saying, but Fabian, all you've done is you've changed the wallpaper. So actually you took yourself back to, you know, to France, back home. And actually, the way you are feeling and who you are, um, you know, there you are in effect. And it's it's similar to, you know, wherever you go, even if you go and move there for one year, I often say to my students, because I teach languages, they go to France or, you know, Latin America for their year abroad. And I say to them, you know, the experience you're having in Bristol, you know, the, the, the person you are, Will, you'll take all of that yeah, when you go abroad. So when you have down moments you know, in, in Australia or in, in the UK, you'll have down moments wherever you go. It's, uh, so, so would you agree with that? I would. And I also would say to anyone that is doing that and that it's nothing's forever. Um, and that was a great piece of advice that my mum always said to me, you know, and, and she was one of the ones saying, go, 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 because, you know, you can always come back, you know, you can always leave where you are, um, if it's not COVID, <laughs> but, um, you know, generally, you, you know, and um, I remember Sky News held my job open for a year kindly, um, so I sort of knew if it didn't work out, and for some reason we couldn't stick it out, then, you know, it's not the end of the world. You can change things. You're not stuck. Yes. And what you said also previously is that I think as human beings, we underestimate how resilient we are. Mm -hmm. So not only is there a need for patience and you know, to give ourselves the time, like the nine months pregnancy to just sort of get to know the environment, but also, I think generally as human beings, I don't know if it's our negativity bias that we just wired to look for the negatives because of survival. But I just really feel that we, we're doing ourselves so much disservice because we, we really downplay how resilient we are. I mean, COVID, look at like all the amazing mm. things that are happening or have happened so quickly you know finding a vaccine in so, so quickly you know people you know it, we, we've got sir captain tom who obviously passed away yesterday um you know he's a real symbol of someone who used covid to raise so much money for the nhs you know there are so many examples of resilience right and we are resilient did, yeah. did you feel resilient when you were abroad? I, no, I mean, people say, you know, you must be incredibly strong to do that. But I didn't think I was at the time. I don't think there's anything special about me. But as you say, 
it is probably just resilience and that you know you can get through it and you know it's not the end of the world. I think we always fear the unknown, don't we? And I know I'm still like that with other things. What if something bad happens, you know, to someone I love? How am I going to cope? I don't think I'll cope. And people always say that they find out how resilient they are in those situations. Um, so I think it's just there in ourselves. We just don't often realise it, do we? And I guess looking back and as more time goes on and I look back at maybe what I went through in China, I will see it as a bigger thing than, say, what I do now. Um, you know, it'll seem like, wow. I mean, sometimes now I still think, gosh, I really did that, didn't I? <laughs> that seems crazy when you think I was there. Um, but it becomes your new norm and you, you cope. Yes, you just you dig deep and and find the resources, right, and the right people. Mm. So earlier on, you talked about identity, and you know, saying who am I. So I I think identity, you know, is is not permanent. So I think we, I I had this conversation with my youngest about. Um, because he, he's, he's like your daughter he's 10 and he's going through a phase where he's really concerned about death and death for him but also like us and you know losing someone he loves and so I was explaining to him you know just saying well you know think about you age six months you age three years old you aged five I said where is that little boy you know and and we had this conversation and he's like, oh, okay. And and that really, I think that helped him. And and I think it's really helpful to to not see our personalities as being permanent, you know, because of the identities we stick on ourselves, you know, I am this, I am that. Um, so would you say that you are, you know, who you are is completely different from who you were prior to Hong Kong? and China or have you kept a core of yeah yeah I'm still me I'm essentially the same person I probably was when I was 10 but as you say um I like what you say that our identities are not permanent because that gives you the freedom to then change things and you know try new things and and you know you're not pigeonholed because I think it's us ultimately we pigeonhole ourselves into these you know boxes don't we and I think that's probably what I had done I just thought well I'm a newsreader but but what is what is that um and a friend said to me after when I was probably moaning and groaning about I can't really do anything anymore I, you know I'm a mum and that's probably it and she said you know you've got so much experience under your belt after 20 years in journalism think of all those things that make up um that label you know and she was right I had to really dig deep and think well she's right you know um I'm able to interview people and communicate with people and train people in the media and write and produce you know um so many different things came into that so it took a while for me to see that but once she pointed it out it gave me a little bit more confidence to say okay well here I am and I think also as women we and we gain that sort of wisdom and as we get a bit older and we gain a bit more credibility and confidence and we know who we are a bit more and it just gives you the ability to um, put it into and maybe a new practice which is kind of what I had to do in Hong Kong I just started doing things that I might never have done in Australia like writing 
for different online publications and you know I because in Australia I, I would have been too embarrassed to do that in front of my comrades because colleagues mm. I was just I was the newsreader you don't go submitting stories over here to that you know website and doing mm. MC work um, so it allowed me a bit of freedom in a way to do things I would never have done um, and that sort of continued, I guess, even moving to China. That's my cat just walking past. Yeah, so I think I like that you you say it's sort of a fluid thing that your identity, and I'm I think more people need to understand that, you know, and especially women as we we do grow up and we have to get more flexible careers when we have children and things that suit us better. And maybe we just want to try something that we never you know, had the guts to do when we were younger or we didn't have the money, whatever it might be. Um, I think there's no sort of time that is too late to really reinvent who you are. Mm. And, you know, I, while it's not a huge leap from a journalist and a newsreader to an author, there are so many more skills and, you know, learnings that I've had to undertake to become an author. Um, and I dare say that's not the end of it. I imagine things will change in another decade. And, and that's exciting, you know, to think that you can choose to do different things. And I know a lot of women my age, you know, that are starting degrees and nursing and naturopathy and doing things way outside of what they had been sort of doing when they left school. Yes. And that's what I love about your story is that, that we don't have to pigeonhole ourselves, that we can actually go and explore and do things and stretch ourselves, you know and that we don't have to be limited or to just sort of go and this is partly one of the thing I want to do with flourishing education is to show that actually as a as young people we are taught go on hop on the hamster wheel and keep going and just go on the hamster wheel and keep going keep going and we don't always have the time to step off and to take stock and to look at, okay, is this working? Is this not working? Because from a young age, you know, from 15, 16, you have to think about a career, what who you want to become, you know, what you want to do for a living. Um, and then it's this notion that, well, okay, so I've studied this at university, so therefore I need to continue with this, even if you, you realize three two years yeah. down the line oh maybe that wasn't quite what I wanted to do um so do you think your experience has, has enabled you to actually you know you said you move from moving from a journalist to being an author is not quite as drastic but do you think it's enabled you to step yeah, sideways possibly I think it's you know as you say when we're in high school and we sit down for 10 minutes with a career guidance counsellor. I mean, how do you really know at 17 what you want to do for the rest of your life? You know, we're still learning about ourselves and who we are. And we're sort of like eeny, meeny, miny, mo. And I remember that's sort of what I did when she suggested because she knew I liked writing and I liked books and, you know, and I wanted to be on in Hollywood. <laughs> she said, maybe you should be a journalist. And I, I'm like, okay, well, that sounds good. I'll just apply for that at university and that's what I did and you know I got to where I got sheerly I think because of sheer persistence um, um, but whether it was really the right thing for me I mean I feel like it's probably being a newsreader as much as I loved it it wasn't my natural sort of state of being I'm much happier 
um, behind the keyboard in my imaginary world, you know, making up stories and writing books. So, um, but it's it's sort of taken me that long, to, this long to figure it out. Um, but thankfully it's been possible mm. uh, to do that. And I guess you're right. What you say is a lot of young people just have to sort of pick something. And in society, we're so conditioned to get our career off the ground you know, then find somebody to marry, then have children, make sure you've got a house and people get to mid thirties, mid forties and say, well, what is this life that I'm living? You know, this, yeah. is this really what it's all about? Mm. Yeah. So, you know, thinking about your book and, and your experience in Hong Kong and China, what are the best bits of it? You know, we've talked about the challenges you've experienced and you know the the culture shock and everything else but what Just, what's been amazing about it all oh the adventure you know just to think that you've been there and you've done that and you've talked about this a lot in your podcast just that um you know how much it broadens your thought process because you've lived in in amongst these other cultures and you've seen how other people live and how they think and, their, you know, their belief systems. And, and that's just so amazing to be privy to that. And I think that was the great thing in China is I really got to see the real Chinese people and underneath all of that exterior of that, those different, the culture and, you know, um, the cultural nuances I really discovered that ultimately as human beings, you know, we are all the same. We all want the same, which is, you know, we want to be loved and we want to belong and we want to connect. Um, so no matter what's sort of going on on the outside. Um, so, you know, just that experience alone is, you know, you can never forget that. And, um, you know, the adventures that we had traveling around those places and, the different things that we saw and, and were able to do was just incredible. Um, and I think, as you say, for Ava, who, you know, she was, she doesn't remember so much of Hong Kong, but she remembers Xi'an in China from, she was six when we left. But, you know, I think I always wonder how it shaped her being a child born in Hong Kong and living overseas. Um, and it's hard to sort of see yet, but I think it's just made her more aware of, different cultures and you know it's not a big deal to have many different cultures in one you know in her classroom was Chinese Korean and half of them didn't speak English but they got along you know you know language was no barrier um, and I, I think that has definitely shaped who she is today and hopefully in the future as well. Mm, I love that because it's bringing tolerance right it's tolerance of under understanding of differences and what I always said to my students is just it broadens your horizon that suddenly you realize okay yes people have different values people have different you know they may have different needs or different wants um, but at the core you know that who we are that human common humanity we all share that common humanity it doesn't matter and I often say to do people it doesn't matter what shape, color, you know, size, 
if if you cut yourself you'll bleed i'll bleed and if yeah. we cut ourselves too much we'll we'll all die and that's that commonality um which is so powerful and so beautiful it's great to feel a part of that isn't it i think you've realized how small and insignificant you are but also how big the world is and how amazing it is but also how small it is you know at the same time um yeah I just think it definitely does not hurt to see the big wide world and you know watch the news in different countries and see what you know makes news there and see what food they like to eat and you know how they live you know it's just fascinating Yes, and I think what you've given your daughter is something also very important is that the difference between being a tourist where you never fully engage emotionally, I think personally, when you go to a country and visit as a tourist, you don't engage emotionally with the culture in the same way that you do when you start living in that country because you have to you know plant those roots to mm-hmm. you know, settle um and i think that is is something that you know in terms of of open-mindedness and uh, openness and uh, i i I've, i spoke uh, last week about third culture kids i think you know if you have lived abroad you you have a lot more tolerance and openness and and naturally resilience and i'm pretty sure that you know eva will will have benefited from that as well yeah I like the fact that I I see that she doesn't notice different looks different skin color different hair color different nationalities it's almost it's not an issue for her she doesn't you know um, as much as you know we have to talk about racism and that it exists in privilege and all of that just generally um everyone's the same to her no matter what color skin they have or what you know what their face looks like you know and I think I hope you know that's a really good thing for her to have that you know insight into the world and I noticed yesterday she was watching something on tv and um I think he was an Asian guy and she's like oh he's really cute and I was like, yeah, there you go. You're not just stereotyping, you know, going for the, the Westerner that's the same as you. You know, I like that. That's great. <laughs> yeah, so it sort of like exposed her to such a, yeah, yeah. a bigger world, isn't it? And just, yeah. yeah. And I love what you said. We live in a, in a really big world and it's a big world. But actually, for me, it's, it, can, it can be seen as not mm. so big because actually that commonality that human commonality that just makes me connect to you and you know connect to other people and that's so powerful and wonderful yeah amazing yeah. right nicole um thank you so much i could talk to you for hours <laughs> Sorry, i know that the time's gone quickly hasn't it it has amazing i've loved it so to when I finish the podcast, I always ask my guests to give me you know, one or two things that they would want um, the listeners to take away from our conversation. You know, or <laughs> anything you you haven't shared that you would want us to, to know about. Oh, I think it just comes down to what we said in the beginning is that, you know, sometimes you've got to step outside of your comfort zone um, to, you know, 
feel those rewards um, and experience the great things. And I, as scary as it is, I think you've just got to remember, um, just be patient. It takes time and don't let that stop you from doing something. Don't let that fear hold you back because, as I said before, if it doesn't work out, it's okay. But at least you've given it a go. I love that. If it doesn't work out, it's okay. You've given it a go. Then you've got no regrets. It's like you've scratched exactly. that itch. Yeah, you're not going to be, you know, on your deathbed thinking, why didn't I, you know, take that job in South Korea or why didn't I change my career or do that course that I always wanted to do or go and learn the salsa, you know, or talk to that person over there, you know. Um, we're all kind of, uh, you know, me too, it's all scary and, you know, we don't want to do it, but... The rewards from you know I didn't want to even you know read the news that was always so scary and nerve-wracking for me um, for many years but the the feeling and the you that I would get when I finished was so euphoric and amazing that I was so pleased I did it mm, and I think yeah. that's that can be said for so many things yeah I love it thank you so much Nicole it's been amazing I've loved it Thank you for having me. It's been really fun talking. Yes, have a lovely evening and no doubt speak very soon. Will do. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode if you enjoy our podcast please subscribe and leave a review on apple podcast or follow us on spotify you can also reach me via twitter at flourishing on linkedin or you can join our private facebook group flourishing education all the links are easily available on anchor.fm thank you so much and I hope you are flourishing. Bye for now.